Good morning, church. I'm glad that you are here today. Today is the last message in this series called Desperation. And I need to tell you about a conversation I had yesterday. A friend of mine asked me yesterday what I was preaching on today. And then she said, are you still in the Desperation series? Or maybe she said, are you still desperate? I said, well, yeah, and I could tell by the way she was asking the question, she, she was a little disappointed that we're still in the desperation series. And I said, why are you asking? She said, well, I need something uplifting. And I thought, well, I do too. <laughs> we all are there, I'm sure. We've, we've all had those kind of experiences. Warren Wiersbe has said, the Christian life is a land of hills and valleys. Life itself is like that, isn't it? Just a land of hills and valleys. There's a story in the Bible that really is a picture of the world that we live in. And it actually is a story of hills and valleys. It's a story of the highs and the lows of life. And it's a story of how we struggle sometimes with the tragedies of life. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 really is a, a picture of the world that we live in. And it is a world of contrast. You see, on the, in the very first half of Mark chapter 9, we see Peter, James, and John, and Jesus literally on a mountaintop. They're experiencing Jesus being transfigured right before their very eyes. Now let me tell you what that word transfigured means. Transfigured describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. But what's on the inside is revealed to those on the outside. And, and that's what the word transfigured means. Uh, I like to describe it this way. For just a moment, for a brief period of time, Jesus in essence pulled back the curtain and let the disciples, Peter, James, and John, see His glory. Just a glimpse of His glory. And it was so inspiring and so breathtaking that Peter actually wanted to live up there. He actually made the suggestion, let's just stay up here for good. Now that's the first half of Mark chapter 9. On the very same day, at the very same time, down in the valley, the other nine disciples were down in the valley dealing with a man who brought his son who was demon-possessed. And down in the valley... These disciples were not having such a great time because they were powerless to help this man. And in fact, when Jesus came down off the mountain and walked up to the crowd, they were literally arguing with the disciples. So let's pick up the story, Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and see what we can learn from this text of the mountains and the valleys of life. Chapter 9, verse 14. When they, and the word they there refers to Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the ones who had been up on the mountaintop. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. 
Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, and then watch this, listen to these words of disappointment. But they could not. But they could not. I don't know about you, but I love the mountaintop experiences with God. Those are few and far between, but I really love those experiences where you feel the presence and the power of God. I really love those mountaintop experiences where you can sense God in a way you, you haven't sensed Him in a long time. But in the valley is where we really wrestle with life. In the valley is where we face questions we don't have easy answers for. In the valley is where we struggle with the tension between doubt and faith. Some of you are living in a desperate situation right now. And you're wondering if all of this faith stuff even works. You have experienced a desperate situation and you're going through a desperate situation. And if it's been a long time, it can really be a struggle to believe that your situation can change. And the question you may be struggling with is likely this very question that we find in Mark chapter 9. And the question is simply this, will God help me in my situation? I mean, you've probably heard testimonies of how God has helped others. You've probably heard testimonies of all the wonderful things that God has done for others. And you know in theory, perhaps, that God can do anything. Somewhere along the way, you may have learned that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and present everywhere. But when you're faced with a major problem that's not getting better, it's easy to wonder if it ever will. And so, looking at this story of the mountaintop and the valley, I want us to draw out of this story three lessons for you and I. Three vital lessons that will help you deal with perhaps the struggle you're going through right now. Here's the first lesson. Real faith. Now, make sure you underline the word real. Real faith can be a struggle. I'm going to talk about the faith you declare that you have. I'm not talking about the faith that you talk about in Sunday school or BSF. I'm not, I'm not talking about the faith that you sing about. I'm talking about real faith. Faith that you live. Faith that you hold on to. Real faith can be a struggle. The story of this man and his son is a sad story indeed. In fact, it says in the book of Luke that in Luke's account of this version, Luke tells us that this son was the man's only child. I thought about it and I thought, well, even if he had nine other children, it would still be horrible to go through this experience with your child. But to amplify the story a bit, this man had one child now, I want you to imagine the heartbreak and the frustration of seeing your child in this torment. Read again with me. Follow along. Verse 17. The man of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. And look what's happened to him. First, he has robbed him of speech. He's no longer able to talk. Verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, that is, it, it, it's not grabbing him all the time, but from time to time, this evil spirit seems to seize him. And when it does, it literally throws him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth. His body becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to help him, but they could not. The picture that the Bible paints of this boy sounds like something out of, out of a horror movie, doesn't it? 
But this was no stunt. This was real life. This young man was foaming at the mouth. He was deaf. He was mute. His body was uncontrollably slammed to the ground. And later in this story, we find out that the the evil spirit also threw him in the fire, trying to kill him, and also threw him in water, trying to drown him. Imagine the scars that must have been on this young boy. Imagine the scars that must have covered his body from the fire he was thrown into again and again. Imagine the bruises that must have covered his body as he was slammed to the ground again and again. Imagine his tongue, how it must have been chewed up at times when he was gnawing with his teeth. And moment by moment, day by day, his father had to be ready to protect his son from demonic torture. And there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. He couldn't stop it. He couldn't change it. The best he could do would be to drag his son out of the water. The best he could do was to pull his son out of the fire. This distraught father brought his son to Jesus at a last-ditch effort, hoping that his disciples or Jesus would do something. But when they asked, when he asked the disciples, they tried and they failed. Do you know why it's so hard to believe? I told you real faith is a struggle. Do you know why it's so hard for some people to believe? There's two reasons displayed in this story. Now, here's one of them. One of the reasons it's so hard for some people to believe is because of the powerlessness of the Christians around them. They brought the son to Jesus. He brought this, his son to, to these disciples, and they couldn't do anything. And later in the story, we find this man having a hard time believing that Jesus can do anything. It was the powerlessness of the disciples that made him wonder if anybody, even Jesus, could do anything. Gandhi once said this. He said, I would become a Christian if it were not for the Christians that I know. Yeah. Sometimes churches are the bland leading the bland. Nobody seems to be having any victories. And when we see God making little to no difference in the lives of others, it's difficult to believe He can make a difference in my life. The powerlessness of the disciples made it hard for this man to believe that even Jesus could do something to make a difference. But the second reason it's hard for us to believe, we struggle to believe, uh, is because of the length and the degree of the problem. See, when we've experienced a desperate situation for a long time, it's a real struggle to believe that things can change. Hello, are you with me? When you've experienced a situation for a long time, when you've experienced and encountered a problem, you've dealt with the problem for a long time, and it's a huge problem that seems to have no real answers, it's hard to believe that it'll ever change. This had taken the toll on this man's faith. Look at this story beginning in verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Verse 20. So they brought him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. In other words, one last time, the Spirit is trying as best he can. He knows that his time is numbered. He's trying as best he can to torture this young boy one more time. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. 
Verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, the key question, how long has it been like this? How long has this been going on? How long have you had to stand here and watch this? From childhood, he answered. The Bible doesn't say, but my guess is there were probably tears in the father's eyes. As he said, from childhood. See, the chronic condition of his son made it difficult to believe. The length of the problem, the, the time of the problem, it made it difficult for him to believe. Now, your situation may not be anywhere near the extent of this man's, but you can be just as defeated as he was. Emotionally, you don't know if you can take it anymore. Mentally, it's draining the life right out of you. Spiritually, you're wondering if God even cares. For some of you, the problem has gone on for so long and has been so severe that you struggle with your faith. Look what he says. From childhood, he answered. Verse 22. It is often thrown him into the fire. Often. Notice that. Often. It is often thrown him into the fire to kill him. Or thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And before we, we talk about that phrase, I want you to notice something else that was said in verse 19. Before we, we dig into that, I want you to I want to back up for a moment and see something in verse 19. Five words that, lays, that lay the foundation for everything else that's about to happen. Five words I want to make sure you get. The five words in verse 19 at the end of the verse are these. Bring the boy to me. You might want to underline that. Bring the boy to me. Can I say to you today that whatever your situation, you would be wise to bring it to Jesus. Because no issue is too great, and no need is too small. Take your family, your prodigal, your broken marriage, your desperate situation to the one who loves you the most. Bring it to Jesus. Now, with that foundation, let's go back to verse 22. From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire and the water to kill him. And watch what he says here. But if you can do anything, take pity on, what's that next word? Us. And help, what's that next word? Wait a minute, don't you mean have pity on him and help him? Any parent understands what's going on here. Because if you see your son suffer, you suffer too. If you watch your son go through that agony, you go through the agony too. Oh, not to the same degree, certainly. But this father is very much a part of this struggle. And he says, rather than, can you help him? He says, can you help us? The dad was suffering as he watched his son suffer. But, he says at the end of verse 22, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And in, in verse 23, verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. 
And then look at the man's response. I love this man's response. The honesty of this response. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. But if I could borrow a phrase from the Clemson fans, he was saying it this way, I'm in, but I'm not all in. I mean, I know I need to take a step of faith and believe, I just don't know how big of a step I can take. I do believe. I'm ready to take a step of faith. I I do believe that you can do something I can't do. I I do believe. But i got to be honest. I'm struggling to believe it all the way. And if you're honest, you've probably struggled with that too. You see, he came to the disciples believing they could make a difference, but when they could not, now he's not sure what to believe. Maybe that's your story too. You're standing at the crossroads of fear and faith, and fear is winning. Real faith is a struggle sometimes to believe. I just want you to understand that. So if you're struggling to believe right now, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Number two. Second lesson I want you to get is this. Don't set limits on the power of God. Don't set limits on the power of God. Jesus gently rebuked this man in verse 23 when he says, remember what the man said in verse 22, if you can help us, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said in verse 23, if you can What do you mean, if you can? Then watch what he does. He turns the focus away from him onto the man. Look what he says in verse 23. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who does what, church? Yes. Jesus said, I want to tell you something. The cure of your son doesn't depend on me. The cure of your son depends on you. I've got the power to to help him. But the cure depends on your faith to take that step. He shifted the emphasis from his power to the man's faith. Elizabeth Elliot said, True faith only goes into operation when there are no answers. I want to tell you something. You don't need faith if you have the answers. True faith really goes into operation when there are no answers. F.B. Meyer puts it this way. He said, Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God. But, he said, faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Oh, that's good. But you need to understand something. When we talk about faith, we're not talking about something magical. Faith by itself is, is essentially nothing, but when it, is, when it is attached to God, when your faith is attached to God, then nothing becomes impossible. Verse 23, exactly what Jesus said. Everything is possible. He doesn't say everything will happen the way you want it to happen, but he does say everything is possible for him who believes. So that brings me to the third point, the one that you need the most, more than likely. The one that we all need the most, more than likely. The third point I want you to get from this story is this. Number three, it's okay to ask God to help us with our, when our faith is weak. 
It's okay to ask God to help us when our faith is weak. Look at verse 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Don't, Don't miss an important aspect of what this man said. He did not say, Lord, you need to help me believe. It's not what he said. He said, Lord, you need to help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but there's also unbelief there. And the battle often rages between what we're called to trust God for and what we see in our lives. The father admitted his doubt and he asked Jesus in desperation, Jesus, uh, here's where I am. I I, I do believe. I I do. I do believe. But if I'm really, really honest, I need to also tell you, but I'm also struggling with unbelief. Could you help me? Could you help me get past my unbelief? Listen to me. Everybody look up here at your pastor. It's okay to ask God for that. It's okay to be transparent with God and honest with God and say, you know what? God, I do believe, but I don't know how far I believe. I don't know how much I believe. Will you help me with my unbelief? Pick up the story in verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. I wonder what God might do in your life if you were to pray that simple prayer. I do believe, God. Would you help me get past my unbelief? If you made that your daily prayer, if that was a sincere prayer from your heart, if you said about your struggles and your problems and and the, the trials that you're going through, if you were to say to God today, God, I just want you to know that that I do believe. But if I'm honest, there's still doubt and there's still issues and there's still struggles. Would you help me? Get past my unbelief? Do you understand what happened here in this story? When that man was honest in his praying to God like that, he walked home with a new son. And that man walked home with a new life. Because Jesus said to the Spirit, not only am I commanding you to get out of Him, I'm commanding you never to enter Him again. And now, this father is walking home with a new son and a new life because now he doesn't have to play lifeguard when the demon is torturing his son. Listen to me. It all hinged on a simple prayer. I do believe. And that's the decision. You don't work up that kind of faith. You don't manufacture that kind of faith. It just becomes a decision. As you're standing at the crossroads of fear and faith, it's a decision where you declare and you decide, God, I do believe. 
in light of everything that's behind me, in light of everything around me, in light of everything that I'm going through right now, as I look at it all, I don't have the answer. I don't understand it. I wish it was different. But in the midst of it all, down here in the valley, I just want to declare something to you, God. I do believe. But also I want to be honest with you, Lord. I need you to help me overcome my unbelief. Now before we leave, I need you to see one final thing. That prayer is so important because it connects you to the power of God. And as the story ends, the power of prayer is underlined in this story. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go with me if you would now to verse 28. <laughs> I like verse 28 because I can, in my mind, I can just play out the scene. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, that is after the man and his son had left, after the crowd had kind of dispersed, after it was all over, Jesus and the disciples go indoors somewhere into a house. After he had gone indoors, his disciples ask him privately, <clears throat> look up here, uh, <clears throat> Um, you know, <clears throat> um, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast it out? You need to know that there was a history behind this question. We don't have time to dig into it, but let me just kind of run through it for you real quickly. In Mark chapter 1 and in Mark chapter 5, they had witnessed Jesus cast out demons. And in fact, in Mark chapter 5, there were so many demons in one individual that he was cast into a herd of pigs and thousands of pigs were, were slaughtered. And so they had watched the best. If you will, they had been trained by the best. They'd seen Jesus do this time and time again. As they watched it, they listened to how he did it and what he said. And it's like, okay, we got this. In addition to that, it gets even better. In addition to that, in Mark chapter 3, I believe it is, and in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends them out as his representatives, and he actually says to them, I give you authority over the demons. And in Mark chapter 6, he sent them out two by two. Kind of like knowing the ark, you know? Except it was two disciples. Okay, you two go, you two go. You two go. They went together to encourage one another, to help one another, pray with one another. They went out to preach the gospel. They went out to tell people about the good news of Jesus. But he also said, but I'm going to give you power as you go. I'm giving you my power to heal the sick and cast out demons. Mark chapter 6. So they came back in to give a report after this preaching tour. They came back and they were so excited. You know what they were excited about? They weren't, they weren't celebrating... Thousands of people came to faith in Christ. You know what they're coming back talking about? Even the demons obey us. So when we come to Mark chapter 9, there's a history here. When this man brings his son to be healed of a demon possession, the nine disciples said, we got this. I mean, if, 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 we, if two of us could do it, you know, when we went out two by two, nine of us ought to be able to handle this. Who wants to go first? Well, I remember what he said at Capernaum. I'll, I'll give it a try. And, and they tried, and they failed, and they tried, and another one tried, and he failed. Another, another step aside, let me show you how to... And he failed. 
So eventually, oh, by the way, they failed in front of a crowd. That's always embarrassing. Especially when you think, I got this. So, when you get to verse 28, I think it is, and they get inside, they get in closed doors, they ask Jesus a very relevant question. Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do what you did? We've seen you do it many times. You've taught us how to do it. You've even given us power to do it. We've even been out there and done it ourselves. So why couldn't we do it this time? Look at the text. He replied, Jesus replied, this kind, insinuating that there are other kinds of demons, implying that there are different kinds of demons, Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer. Or some of your translations may say prayer and fasting. This kind can only come out by prayer or prayer or Prayer and fasting. Translation, you know what he was saying to the disciples? Guys, you need to understand something. There are some things that you can't do. There are some things that can only be changed by the power of God. This kind requires more than training. This kind requires more than experience. This kind requires more than past success. This kind requires more than personal knowledge. This kind requires prayer. This kind requires that you connect to the power of God. Because there are some things you can't do. See the missing ingredients for the disciples apparently that day? The missing ingredient was that they tried to do what they did without prayer. They tried to do what they did without prayer. But let's not just talk about the disciples. Let's talk about you. What's your this kind of a problem? You know, that problem that you thought you could handle. That problem that has shown you how weak you really are. That problem that has humbled you, or at least caused you to stop and turn to the Lord. You see, this kind of a problem, the kind you're dealing with now, can only come out by prayer. So today, whatever that is, whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you're struggling with, no matter what people around you may think or say, you know that you need the Lord. You need His power. You need His help. Because this kind can only come out by prayer. There are some problems you can't solve. There are some problems where you need God to help you. Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Do you know Him as your Lord and as your Savior? You see, the the reason... Jesus died on the cross was simply so that you could have a relationship with God because Jesus died for your sins and for mine. And when they put him into a grave, three days later he came up out of the grave showing us and the entire world 
He's more powerful than death and hell. And he can help us overcome those two things in our lives. This kind, he says, can only come out by praise. So I'm going to ask you to pray like you've never prayed before. And your first prayer might be, Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Lord Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, I need you to come into my life. Lord Jesus, I need you. And I am more aware of that than I've ever been. Lord Jesus, I want you to save me right here, right now. That might be your first prayer. And then if you do know the Lord, your prayer might be this. I do believe. But help me. Help me overcome my unbelief. I want to say something to you. It's okay to pray that prayer. It's okay to start your prayer with, God, I do believe, but I'm going to need you to help me overcome the unbelief I'm struggling with. I'm going to need you to help me overcome the doubt I'm feeling inside. I'm going to need you to help me to overcome the problems I'm struggling with. I do believe. But I sure need you to help me overcome my unbelief. So I'm going to invite you to the altar today for one of those two things. To pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. For the first time, identify your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Accepting what He did on the cross for you and claiming His forgiveness. Or to pray the prayer, God, I'm in the middle of the valley. I'm deep down in the valley. And i got a problem I can't fix. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Let's pray about that together. Would you join me as we pray? Every head bowed, every eye closed. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. We call it the invitation, and it's just a time to invite you to respond to what God's been saying to you today. So during this invitation, as soon as we stand to sing, I would invite you to come down front to where I am if I can help you. If you'd like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, if you'd like to have me pray with you and pray for you. I'm here to do that. Or if you want to just come to this altar, feel free to come to this altar and pray alone, pray by yourself, and then go back to your seat when you're done. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. And whether we're on the mountaintop or down in the valley, you alone are God. We recognize your goodness. And we thank you for speaking to us in the midst of our desperate times. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.